thing I can say about him is he's really a good AA. And he's helped a lot of people. And I've been a part of a lot of people's sobriety up here in his sharing. And uh, he's got a good program. And I, I'm going to let his sponsor come up and say a word or two about him, too. Come on, B.C. Uh, I'm B.C. Miller, my alcoholic and drug addict. And uh, because this program works, I haven't found necessary to take a drink or do any drugs since uh, May of 1984. For that, I'm truly grateful. And uh, I'm sure Steve's got plenty to say, anything that uh, I would say probably be... Uh, no one may be self-serving, so I'm going to let Stevie go right now. Hello, everybody. I'm Stevie. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. And I, too, am nervous. I've been sober today by the grace of God, and that's the only way I know of. Everything I've done got me here. I know that um, a lot of what got me here was also the grace of God. Because I couldn't have, uh, couldn't have needed the questions or had the questions. I don't think that uh, that I try to find out the answers to these days without the grace of God. I started off my drinking and using career. Oh, I guess early '60s when I was somewhere around uh, seven or eight years old. Uh, grew up in an alcoholic family. My father was an alcoholic. And even though I saw the problems that alcohol caused in our family, I still found it attractive for some reason. I don't know what that was. I thought I was missing something. I was always a kid who was afraid I was going to miss something. Somewhere along the line, I started trying to... Uh, find out why my father would go back and, and continue to drink even though every time he did I saw what happened which was big fights you know violence and we were always real scared of him but he continued to do it anyway and I never I never did understand what that was until one day a few years later I realized that I wasn't doing anything any differently other than making a little bit more money and it added a few drugs to it you know I guess about seven or eight years old, I started stealing drinks. Either, uh, well, my parents used to have these, these 42 parties, and quite a few people would come over, and they'd be, uh, having their Tom Collins or whatever, you know, and when somebody wasn't looking, I'd take one of the drinks and run in the kitchen, you know, and make them a new one. And, uh, <laughs> refresh their drink, you know. It's just that I would refresh my memory about what it tasted like a lot of the time, you know. I never really thought that it tasted very good or anything. And then, then one day I tried to, I tried to, uh, make myself a drink out of my dad's bourbon that was in the freezer. It didn't taste very good either. I guess it was the wrong brand or something. I don't know. But somewhere along the line, I started finding that attractive somehow. About the same time, my ear, nose, and throat doctor who, it was general practice with him when you, when you went in for him to take a look up your nose, he would squirt you full of what I later found out was a strong solution of liquid cocaine. And I never really knew why my face was numb when I left there. 
I felt a little different, but I later on found out that I didn't know how to breathe without the stuff, you know, because it was in a nose spray he gave me. The first bottle said use, you know, once every 24 hours. The second bottle said use two or three sprays every 12 hours, and the next one said use as needed. And I did, but I guess as I was going into junior high was when I started, when I really started trying to drink. We'd moved to Graham, Texas, and I really didn't want to go at all. Um, I'd, I'd gotten in the first band that I really wanted to be in and was excited about it, and we had to move. And I had to give up everything, you know, including my way. We got to Graham, and uh, my parents had told me we were going to be there for about six weeks. And that was about six weeks into the sixth month that we stayed there. While I was going to school there, actually the first day I went to school there in Graham, Texas, just to show you what kind of, how much I liked it, I got kicked out of school three times the first day. And uh, I didn't even do anything. You know, I just went to school, and they didn't like how my belt was, or they didn't like how my hair was cut twice, you know. And uh, I real quick found this guy that sold, he sold Alka-Seltzer bottles full of, full of sour mash. And uh, continued to find him every day, you know. Even though I, did, I didn't like how it tasted or anything, it just kind of, Helped me smooth along, you know, because there wasn't anything that I really wanted there. I'd get beat up all the time, and, and there wasn't anybody to play any music with. Well, we stayed there for about six months, and finally I just told my parents that I wasn't going back to school anymore. And so that ended up being about the same time we moved back to Dallas. And back to Dallas for me was, uh, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but really all I, all I really was doing here at the time was uh, well I was trying to play music and everything but but the main thing I was doing was hanging out with the kids down the street and uh, what they did all the time was see how they could get high this way or that way you know and I thought that well, all I was doing was just trying to be in with the people you know with these kids what I was really doing was learning how to get high and stay high all the time and run away from what was going on, which was, um, I guess what was going on really was that, uh, you know, people grow up and they learn things about living life and, uh, and grow. I didn't, uh, I never, that never dawned on me. I just thought you just kind of went from day to day and you got older and then things happened and you graduate and, or quit school or whatever. At any rate, I learned, uh, I just learned how to bag glue and how to, how to figure out this pill was this kind and this was that kind and if you hit real hard on this joint you might get a buzz. Usually I was scared to though at the time. The thing was is that was the only thing I knew how to do. The only thing I knew how to do was just try to, try to get by every day. I wasn't really learning anything about living life. There was really no information at home, because I, I couldn't, it was pretty violent in my house, I couldn't go and, and ask my dad about things, 
I couldn't go ask my dad about about school or about girls or about anything because it was uh it was pretty much you're supposed to know that stuff on your own <laughs> or just leave me alone. Is that your stuff? Get it out of the room, you know. So I uh, I just continued to try to find out things from the kids down the street, and that wasn't the way to really go. I didn't know that. What I did keep learning though was about was about bands and what not to blame not to blame my drinking or anything on bands, but I sure learned a lot about it there. <laughs> Cause that was and still is, unfortunately a lot of in a lot of places that's where a lot of the myth about it's real neat to get high or real cool to get high. That's where I learned a lot of it. Because a lot of the people I really looked up to really knew how to drink and really knew how to get high. And uh, along with every time I would get in a better band, it seemed like there were better drugs, better brand of a gin or whatever, you know. And I always thought I had to keep up. I just thought I had to keep up. Why that was, I don't know. I would see, uh, I would see someone who I really cared about and know that they... And this this is a pattern that's gone on most of my life, and I still don't understand why it's attractive to me or has been. I would see someone who I really cared and loved, you know, cared for and loved, and that they couldn't do anything unless they were shooting something. And I would see that it would be literally killing them, and that would be a good reason for me to try it. I don't know. I don't understand that. But that's what that's a pattern that I developed. I saw it with my father, I saw it with very close friends, and I've seen it with people who are no longer alive, you know. I'm glad to say that I'm not doing that anymore. Because there was a stage in my life where I got to uh, experimenting. Not like I thought experimenting was in the first place, but what happens to you if you do this much, you know? There was a time in my life when uh, a normal day would be to pull out whatever I could get my hands on and do it all at once. It wasn't do it till it was gone, it was do it all right then. And it would be enough to kill somebody. But for some reason, that was what I did. And I would sit there and go, well, this is what happens, and stay alive somehow. And I got it in my head that that was a, I don't know, somewhere along the line I got this verse, or it's not even a verse, it's just something in the Bible where uh, in the last days people will be trying to kill themselves and can't. And that's what I thought I was doing, I think. For some reason I thought I couldn't die. I guess that's that Superman deal that we get. Through the years, all this progressed and I just got to where... Uh, Everything I was doing was on a road to killing me. The only thing that I was doing that wasn't destructive was trying to play music. But that was really quickly taking a back seat to everything else. I still cared about someday finding something that meant something to me inside and with another person or with other people. I 
still cared about growing somehow. But bit by bit, all of that was going somewhere in the past where uh, I couldn't reach it anymore. You know? <laughs> I went and tried to find out how many crown rolls I could get, you know. And uh, there's never enough. Uh, I learned that a long time ago. There's never enough dope and there's never enough to drink. There's either too much or not enough. You know, there's never just enough. But I, uh, I went and tried anyway. And went back and I felt, I don't know, I felt guilty already. I'm real good at the guilt. You know, I went straight back to the seat and sat down next to her. And, you know, I'm like, well, this is not what I did, you know, and she went, I kind of knew that, you know. And, uh, anyway, we went back, we got, we got, we landed and, and, uh, I went to a hotel room, stayed there until the next day went into treatment. I didn't expect to find out in treatment that that was one of the coolest places I'd ever been. That's what I found out. It wasn't uh, what I thought it was going to be at all. I went through the regular stuff, you know, what if they find out I'm in here or who's they, and, you know. <laughs> and and I don't want to be here and all, you know, all this stuff. But once I, once I got... Once I started paying attention to what was going on in treatment, to the recovery, it's been something that I've really wanted ever since. Not always been real good at sticking to a good, strong program, but at least I know that when I'm able to find those steps in my life that it works. And it's really the only thing that does. Because anything else I'm doing is just trying to fix something else up to look the way I want it to look or to be the way I want it to be instead of working my way into living life. Well, what I found in treatment was the same thing that I find in a meeting when I'm in the right place in my heart at a meeting, and that's a bunch of people trying to help each other live life and grow in it. It's always been something that I've wanted to know about. And it's always been something that I've wanted to do. It's not always been something that I've done. Sometimes I don't even know what grow means. But it's something that uh, I find every once in, once in a while I find growth. And then I feel like me. If that's not where I'm at, then I feel like a shell with a bunch of static going on. That's really the way I feel. In the program of AA, I found the only real lasting happiness that I've ever had. And it lasts whether I can really reach it or not. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but I know that it's there even though I can't always feel it. Because I know it's not out of it's not either something that I've made or bought or conned somebody out of. It's something that's bound to be real. I see it when I see other people come out of a real hard place to be into a more comfortable place with themselves. I know that must be growth. It's not just a new pair of boots or something, you know. 
I don't know, the hardest things that I've learned so far, I guess, is probably letting go of my own way, getting my own way, other people acting the way that I think they should act or looking the way that I think they should look. I'm not out of that yet. It's just that's my way, you know. My way is not the right way necessarily at all. And it's hard to admit that. It's hard to admit that I don't know it all. That's what I used to think. I used to think that if it wasn't done my way, that it was completely wrong and it couldn't be anything close to right because you just didn't know. I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of, sometimes I find out that it's, it's real comfortable not knowing everything, you know. Not knowing anything, in fact. It's funny, I'm real uncomfortable saying that right now, but <laughs> that's the truth. I don't know, I just know that it, when I come to meetings, when I take the time to pray, and to listen and to take a look at myself and try to change that I grow. And when I try to offer that to someone else, I feel better and that I don't have any need to drink or to take any drugs. And if that's what this program does, if that's all it does, then it's helped me a whole lot because that's all I used to know was drinking and using drugs. It's really all I knew because I didn't know how I felt. I still don't always know how I feel. A lot of times I uh, still find myself confused about what I think and what I feel. I don't know the difference very often. And that's a scary place to be a lot of times. But slowly, day by day, that's working out. It's working out for the better. It's been uh, about three and a half years, I guess. Close to three and a half years since I've had to drink. And it struck me, it struck me New Year's Eve that to go and do what I had to do New Year's Eve was uh, a lot different this year than I'd noticed it being in the past, you know. And a couple of years ago it was like this. Last year it was kind of a daze. I was sick, but it was kind of a daze. This year I was actually happy to be alive and noticed that I didn't have to be high to be up till five in the morning or whatever it was, you know, and that, it, that I could look out and, and realize that I was starting a new year with, with new things to try to do and new things to try to care about. And one of them was me, and one of them was y'all. And one of what I do with my life. And commitments. Commitments has been another thing that I've never been very good at in my life. Well, I could get caught up in something. Real good, you know. I could get caught up in the in the mirror combing my hair, you know. Or, uh... <sighs> Whatever. But commitments have not been something that I've been very good at. Because I was more scared of making a commitment than I was following it through, you know. But I realized that I'm still alive now. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing to me. When I was 17, I thought I wouldn't make it to 21. When I made it to 21, I thought something was, something's up, you know. <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Uh, when I passed 30, I thought something's wrong. 
I don't know. It's... I'm just glad to be alive today. Glad to be alive today. I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot to say about anything other than knowing that if I let this program and if I let God do what he's going to do in my life through you or through whatever, that it's a whole lot better than I ever could have done it myself before I came to this program. I thank you all for letting me be here with you. Whether I know what to say about it or not, it means a lot to me. And I thank you, okay? Anybody ever let me into the life was the way he treated me. And, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't think I'll ever forget that part. And, uh, um, right now, I have somebody to, to come up and, and say what they have on their mind. And I don't know anybody. Well, maybe there's one person. I was going to say I don't know anybody any closer to, uh, to Stevie uh, than this guy. Uh, Renee is involved with Stevie in his, in his workplace. And um, he's a very close friend. And I'm really um, pleased that Renee was able to be here tonight to, uh, to lend his words to this celebration that y'all are giving to Stevie. Renee, you'll come up. Thank you. 
And, and that's taking care of somebody, you know. I mean, he, he always wanted to, to be close to somebody. And he did that on several occasions, you know. I always thought that was really neat, you know. And uh, sometimes we just all couldn't sit, you know, it's just class. But uh, everywhere we went, everywhere we worked at, he was, he was like that. He never really introduced me as his guitar tech. I took care of all of his duties, took care of all his guitars. I helped him set up his, uh, his gear. I, I took care of all that. That was my job. And when it came to introducing me, he would introduce me as this is my friend, Renee. And uh, it wasn't like this is my hired hand or help or anything like that, you know. Uh, that's the kind of guy he was, you know, and that's, I always thought that was just really neat, you know. Um, to be sitting there with him at the airport, he'd come up asking for autographs, and uh, it's kind of hard. I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, it's still hard. Always people want to see him. They want to have his autograph, and I kind of want to get out of the way, get a detective of him in case there's some Lulu out there, you know, and, and he'd always bring me into the picture and introduce me, you know, and he does my guitars. This is Renee, does my guitars, takes care of me, and these people go, oh, wow, this is Renee Martinez, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I feel kind of like, oh, man, you know, this is Stevie's deal, it's not mine, but uh, he kept reassuring me all the time, you're just going to have to get used to it, right? And uh, it was very hard to get used to it, you know. It was hard to uh, run on stage with Stevie Ray and help him when a guitar string would break or his strap would fall. You know, I would have to run out there and change guitars or uh, help him with his strap, you know. And sometimes it worked real good and sometimes it looked like a big screw up on stage, you know. But uh, it was okay. Uh, it was his stage and later come to realize it was really our stage, you know. And... Uh, but he was always giving, you know, and, and, and what I'm trying to lead to is that uh, when we got into recovery, it was uh, it was hard to to, uh, to adjust to some things. Uh, he, he came into the program before I did. Um, uh, I, I followed later on my sobriety days in January 1st, 87. Uh, it happened to be January 1st. You know, it wasn't uh, a New Year's resolution or anything like that. You know, it just and what steps that we had that we had to decide. 
decide that the you know, these people got to decide on their own. You know, we have our own group. We have a problem. Come talk to each other. Call an alcoholic or another alcoholic or talk to your sponsors and so forth. You know, keeping that in tradition going as best as we knew how. You know, early in sobriety. I mean, you know, it turned out to be there were four of us. You know, with uh, a few months, six months, or whatever sobriety, you know, amongst us. You know, and we're all trying to help each other out. You know, and it was hard. You know. Uh, I know um, I know he talked many, many times to his sponsor, and, and uh, I did as much as I could. Um, I talked with my friend uh, who was on the crew who happened to be in, in AA, and we talked a lot, and he was a real pain in the butt. You know, he, he, was, he was sick, you know. And this guy, you know, was, uh, if God put anybody into my life to keep me straight, then uh, he, put, he put him into my life, you know. This guy was, was screaming, cussing, uh, yell at you for no reason whatsoever, you know, and uh, you did this and you did that, you know, and boy, do I want to drink. And I, I'm not said I'm tired of it, and I want to get drunk. And you just, you know, it had me think all over again and think, well, what am I going to do here, you know? And it's because AA hey, again, you know, and the power of in me that they were able to sit down and they were all able to talk things over and the drink problem was literally going away and then finally it was okay, you know. Uh, that's what we all shared together. That's what uh, Steve really wanted to share with everybody. And he went to even a greater extreme, you know. He literally went up on the microphone and talked to everybody, you know, during these shows, you know, long sobriety. And uh, I thought that was just, you know, that was something else, you know. I mean, anonymity came to my head, you know, all these things, you know. But this is what he wanted to do, you know. He wanted to share the message. He wanted to get it across, you know, that somewhere along the line, you know, maybe a seed will be planted, you know. And, and that's what you all did to me. You all gave me more seeds to grow with, you know. I come here, you know, um, and see, you know, you gave me so much, you know. And you know, you tried to help each other, you know, trying to cure the drink problem, you know, the alcoholics, you know. And uh, it's, you never stop, you know. Uh, we've been off for a long, long, long time. I, I, I'm going to say a long time, like about a year, you know, we were into sobriety, you know, all of us. And uh, and out of nowhere, one of our guys came back to the hotel, and we happened to run into each other, and he was talking it, um, to, to someone who uh, happened to go to AA and decided to straighten out his life. And, um, you know, as far as I know, she's still sober, you know. Uh, I, I had to tell Steve that, you know, and, and, and Steve would go out. He said, you know, it's, it's amazing. The power of this program, the power of God, you know, what really what I'm trying to say is that he didn't say, I did it. You know, it wasn't me. You know, he said that the message of AA, the power of God, you know, is, is getting to some people, you know. And, and I just, I really thank him for that, you know. Uh, that's, that's Stevie Ray, you know. What's this program? I don't think there is a, um, a bag, a luggage bag out there big enough to carry all the books that he carried with him when he got on that damn plane. Uh, and this book, I mean, this satchel is just this crammed full of books, you know. Every book you can imagine. I, I have never seen any of these books, I don't think, you know. First time, that tells you where I'm at with my program. But, but he would always have these 
and, and I'd grab one, I'd, I'd look at the ones that he had, he had about four or five of them, and I'd look at one, and this is one of the ones that, uh, that he handed over to me, and I, I said, I'll take this one here, and he looked at me, and he looked at that book, and he said, which one did you get? And, and I go, I've just seen here. And I'd open it up and I'd start reading it, and before long, he would be over <laughs> looking at me and, and waiting for me to say something about what I've read. And I'd go, wow, this is real. I can identify with this here. And, and he would listen. And, and what I'm trying to say is that, you know, he was open as much as he could. He wanted to hear what other people had to say. He wanted to be hearing messages, you know, from other people. Just as we hear messages when we go to meetings, we listen to other people. You know, I do. I listen to other people and try to get something out. And, and I do walk away with something, you know, that somebody else has shared with me. And that's like a real, real gift, you know. And for me as an alcoholic, I need that. I need to go home with something on my mind that can hopefully, you know, interrupt that thought of drinking somewhere down along the line, you know. And it's just for that day. And that's, that's real good, you know. I don't have to worry about tomorrow anymore. I don't have to worry about yesterday's. It's just today. And if I go home with that kind of thought, you know, it's a good feeling, you know. And uh, if I need more help over here, the big book's here. And God, uh, of course, is here all the time if I let him. And this is what Steve, for me, was always trying to do, you know, trying to carry the message, you know. And I think he's really hard at work with that. Uh, besides being a good friend, you know, besides getting so much of, of him, you know, and besides, um, I know this is not AA related at all, but being, being one of the best guitarists in the whole world, being able to work for the best, you know, was, uh, it's, it's just, I don't know how to explain this in words, you know, how it really felt to be able to work with his guitars, you know, and, and try to do the best that I could for him as far as uh, making it play so easy that he can get out there and play his message or whatever that was guitar-wise, you know, and just feel comfortable enough that after he got through playing a particular solo that he could sit on the microphone and talk to people, feel comfortable, you know, there wasn't a, a nagging fret or a broken string, you know, or something like that that would bother him, he could, he could finally go out there, and, and if I did something like that a little bit, it, it really helped, you know, he, he taught me a lot, he, he engrossed my my guitar repair, whatever, you know, uh, I, I couldn't have uh, worked for any better, I really don't think, you know, he was, he was the best that there is, you know, uh, I, I, I really, um, I, I miss him so much that I, I don't know how to explain it in words, and, and it, I, I only feel good that um uh, that gave me this here you know that i'll treasure for a long long time and i'll if i don't read this here i'll something's wrong but um uh, i left with no bad feelings or anything like that you know i just i left with uh, i was like being phone call early in the morning and i found out about this and uh it, it just it hurt real bad and um uh, I remembered what happened the night before, and I was going through craziness for a couple of hours, and then I started thinking, and uh, he was in his uh, dressing room. Um, I walked in to, uh, to his dressing room that night and uh, to ask him about gear that we were going to be taking to Europe the following week. And uh, there he was, sitting on the couch 
with a real frustrated look on his face. So when he finally saw this patch on his leather jacket, and, uh, you know, he didn't go out of his way to ask anybody to do this thing. And I saw him, and he looked at me like, like I thought I had done something wrong, you know, and, and, and then I noticed what was going on, and, uh, and I said, see, what are you doing? And he said, I'm sewing this leather patch on my jacket. It's coming off, you know. And I said, well, well, I want to go over this gear list with you here. And then I told him, please, move on. I'll take care of it. I said, your fingers are real sore because you haven't played in about a month. And uh, I said, leave him alone. I'll do it. I said, you got to play tonight. I said, you can. We're there classes tonight. And uh, I said, just let me handle that, please. And, and then finally, he's like, you And I said, yeah, it's okay. And, and he's got a big smile on his face. And I don't know if he'll that. And... Uh,
not only what we may want to, to share, but, um, well, you can see something about Renee, the kind of, kind of guy he is, and uh, the kind of people that we're around to see are, are people like Renee, and you can see how people close with him, <clears throat> living with him, felt about him, and, you know, you can be liking somebody pretty good and getting a bus with them and go across town, not like them so good once you get over there, and uh, he's been with him for years riding those buses, and uh, you can see what he Anyway, 
I wanted to meet him anyway. I wanted to get to know him anyway. I, you know, hell, I want to know. I want to get to know Stevie Ray Vaughan. You know. And I called him up. Someone gave me his number. I said, hey, man, I'd like to talk to you. And he said, okay. We want to talk. I said, well, <laughs> it's up to you, man. <laughs> you know. And we set a date to talk. And I told him I wanted to show him the foundation, and I started. He said, I'd love to go see it, man. And he put it off a couple of times. And he'd come back in town, and he called me. So finally, we got together one night. And I walked him through the place. <clears throat> and we got to the front door, and this girl walked up. The one girls in the house and I said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. He said, man, did you see that? He was a real shy little guy. He was real, real, and he was sincerely shy. He had one of those things, you know, for me, I'm talking about, this is my experience with, 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 with him. And, uh, you know, this guy really is shy. You know, he, he was really impressed by that, and he really didn't know what to do. And I walked him through the house, and then we went down to the offices, and I introduced him to the lady that owns the office building where, where our foundation is, and, 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 and I told her who it was, and... Two days later, she said, God, she said, that little guy you introduced me to, he was on the job. Of course, I can't believe it. She said, why don't you tell me who he was? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have time to tell her. I was too busy trying to do the deal. And we, we sat around, and the thing we talked about, the thing that we ended up talking about more than any other thing, was that we both had older brothers. And it was a little hard to get along with older brothers. And I took him down to the booth. We got a, a, a little, a little, a little um, egg or pathways. And we were sitting in a meeting at pathways. And after it was over, we rode around. And we talked about this deal for a little while. And I said, "Hey, man, I said, you know what we want you to do? We want you to give us a concert." I said, "We're struggling." And I said, "Man, I really do need some help." He said, "I'll help you, man." And he wrote out his agent's name and number. He said, "Tell him I said we're gonna have a concert." <laughs> And that was it. And I called his agent a few times and was going back and forth. And, and finally, last week, I talked to the guy Marshall, his, his agent, not his real agent. But. And so we were going to have a date. It looked like it was going to be November or the first part of the year. And then the next thing I know is that he fell out of the sky in an airplane. And, um, And, and, and it didn't bother to me. You know, like, I, mean, you know, I was with a guy one night. You know? But the thing that I want to share with you is, is that through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, through the thing that this thing is about, is that, you know, I can remember when I was a drug addict, and I can remember my, my buddies getting killed on motorcycles. I can remember my buddies getting killed in robberies. I can remember my buddies getting killed in car wrecks. I can remember my buddies getting killed just shot, you know. And we used, to, we used to be loaded, and we used to think, I used to think, damn, man, you know, Harvey, man, he was a hell of a guy. And that was it, you know. And I wouldn't think anything about it, you know. And now in sobriety, you know, and the whole weekend that I was gone away on that island, the only thing I think about is just be really long. And, and just for a short period of time, that yeah, I was touching away that just that, that, that kind of just blows me away. And I went to the funeral, and DC started reading how it works, and I started crying. And I came from a place where I never could cry before I found this program. Never. I'm telling you, you do not cry where I come from. You do not cry tears, you just don't do it. And I felt proud and honored to 
be a part of our college now. And I called BC up and told him, I, I, I told him, I said, BC, I ain't, I, I want to speak for me, but you made me feel as good as I've ever felt in my entire life at that funeral to be a part of this deal, to be a part of this program called Our Cause Mom. I feel the little guy more that he's gone now than I did whenever the life. I feel him in my house. I feel him in this deal right here. And uh, he was just really there for me. And 
we were young, mm-hmm. out there, really out there, and we lived all over Austin. It was uh, just one of those deals. The times were hard, you know. Stevie was, he always had his guitar, and uh, he always, behind closed doors, would tell me, and this is something that's so important to me because he would always tell me that you have to have something to believe in, that you have to have faith. And that has stuck with me for all these years because this little guy, and he was quite little, well, that's what I mean, we're just two strong kids out there in the world, you know, trying to do the deal. He, uh, he had a lot of strength, and uh, I can remember a lot of times where if I had been him, I probably would have given up, you know, and he didn't. He kept going. You know, I think the more I think about it after he got into the program is he always had that inner strength that it took. He always had it. He was... He was um, very special to me and to a lot of people. He was very driven. And he was very humble. See, I knew Stevie at a time when he, uh, he was selling Coke. We were selling Coke bottles to dinner. I mean, it was, you know, it was called paying your dues, so to speak. He still remembers well. And, you know, he'd walk into the living room and there would be records everywhere. You couldn't even get to the kitchen because everywhere you looked, there was records. There was Jimmy Hendrix and there was guitars and everybody was jamming. I mean, I look back on Austin, what I can remember of it, and there's not a whole lot sometimes. I had some blackouts down there. And uh, I think there was a lot of love and there were a lot of people that connected down there. And his life was changing, and he was really 
party. And it, I know that Stevie Vaughan, he fought a lot of battles. And he succeeded, you know? He succeeded in the deal. And that is so important to me today to see someone with the strength and the belief in the faith that he had that kept him going. I'm not very good with words sometimes. It's real hard for me to express how I feel about him. But one of the things that I truly regret is that I do not get to make a move to the way I rather wanted to make a move. Thank 
And man, that's all the guy had to give was everything, and that's what he was given. And the program of AA uh, seemed to be what gave it back to him. And I know it's real easy. It's been really easy for me to be way, way sad the last few days. But as a result of some bits and pieces of information that were brought to me over the last few days and things, the prayers that were answered for me and for other members of the family, and the feeling that I had the other day at that service, I know that there's a design in, in living, and uh, it seems to be that there's, I never said this before, but a design in, in death. Uh, there's something going on here, and my part is to take what Stevie gave to me and to try my hardest to keep on giving it, and I would, uh, it's one thing to have gratitude and hold it for yourself, but uh, if we truly have gratitude for what that fella gave us, well, then uh, I think that he wouldn't want any more from us than for us to uh, to try to keep uh, passing it on. There was a dream that came to the family uh, the day after Stephen was killed, and uh, his brother shared it with me. And, and in the dream, Stephen's brother said, uh, I had a good life. I did what I came to do. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Y'all all keep up the good work.